You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show. It is Thursday, the 27th of April. I'm at Punchestown Racecourse. I'm very grateful to their CEO, Connor O'Neill, who's kindly let me use his office to record today's podcast, which is a little later than normally published because we have been waiting for the official publication of the white paper, the product of the gambling review. Lucy Fraser, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport Secretary of State, addressed Parliament at around about midday today. The debate, as I am talking to you, is still continuing in the House of Commons and reaction has started to come through from the British Horse Racing Authority about the impact upon horse racing. And we'll be getting uh, the city's reaction to the white paper. How have the markets reacted to this? What does the bookmaking industry believe is going to be the impact with David Buick, market commentator, in a few moments' time? But first of all, to another David, David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror. And I'm hoping... Uh, David, that you can precie what is a long and detailed document for us, first of all. What is in the white paper? Just a, a very qu- quick potted history. Um, the the review of the 2005 Gambling Act was announced in, in December 2020 by Oliver Dowden. Obviously, this has been a much delayed uh, process. We've had three prime ministers in that time. We've had a further three culture secretaries, Oliver Dowden, um, succeeded by Nadine Dorries, Michelle Donnellan, and now Lucy Fraser. And I think we've had about six gambling ministers who have had the issue in their in-tray at some point or other. Um, But we're we're here today at long last. As you mentioned, Lucy Fraser talked about uh, the need for a digital solution to a digital age in in the House of Commons, she said that the landscape now was positively unrecognisable from the landscape of 2005. Uh, She mentioned the harm that is uh, done by gambling, principally online. Uh, For some families, she said, the worst fears for their loved ones have been realised. We need a new approach that recognises a flutter is one thing, unchecked addiction is another She described the white paper as a game changer and a gambling white paper for the digital age. In terms of uh, what she said in the House of Commons, uh, well, she mentioned that that companies were going to step up their affordability checks, a couple of details about those in a moment, that bonus offers and the the treatment of gambling VIPs, often big losers uh, by betting companies, would be tightened up. There would be the 1% levy, which she said would turn the tables on problem gambling. That, of course, would um, research and treat uh, problem gambling issues. In the past, the NHS has refused voluntary um, payments on behalf of of gambling companies. I I think that probably now that they will see that 
there will not be a conflict of interest because that is a statutory measure. She said that more will be done to protect children and going in the opposite direction, those land-based uh, gambling companies, casinos, bingo halls, uh, would have some restrictions removed. She mentioned some details in the Times newspaper today in terms of the affordability checks, uh, which is something, of course, that we've discussed many times on um, the Nick Luck Daily and elsewhere. Gamblers losing £125 a day will be subject to financial vulnerability checks. Um, this is in the public domain and it is frictionless, i.e. whether they have been previously declared bankrupt or have county court judgments against them. Losses of £1,000 a day or uh, £2,000 in 90 days will be subject to more extensive affordability checks. I can't see how these would be frictionless because they will um, require recourse to your bank account, your P60s, your salary slips to uh, basically to get a picture of whether your income makes these sort of losses affordable and sustainable. A couple of other details that were mentioned again in the Times. Um, I've mentioned the 1% the levy on gross gaming yield and also, which is less relevant uh, to us in the horse racing industry, but the online stakes on uh, slots, fixed odds, betting terminals in the, the real world, they were cut in uh, 2019. These online are now being reduced from between uh, 2 to £15 pounds maximum. If you're under 25, then that places a limit of £2 per spin. No doubt the catchiest line from Lucy Fraser today was, now there's a Las Vegas on every phone. It is widely acknowledged where most gambling-related harm emanates from and why this gambling review was necessary in the first place. To repeat, a digital solution for a digital age is required. Nobody disputes that. However, there will be those who have read the proposed checks, affordability checks if you want to call them those, which do involve friction, if you do exceed a certain amount lost, not deposited, it should be said, lost, and there is a key distinction, who will be looking at this and thinking, this is a blunt instrument, and one which betrays, given the amount of time and given the consultation period concerned, a startling lack of knowledge and nuanced judgment as regards how people bet why people bet and the different types of betting and the variable motivations behind betting. We know that the technology is there and the software is there when it comes to gambling online for each individual customer to have different wallets according to that activity and for those wallets to be treated differently according to the evidence. Again, the Gambling Commission's own figures have told us that the, the, the danger area for gambling when it comes to uh, causing harm is online gaming in on slots and in casinos. So the, the technology is there to sift that out, to separate those different types of activities, and it hasn't done that. It's applied a very broad brush to a problem uh, or, or an issue that could have been dealt with 
in far greater detail. So uh, that is a, 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 an issue, and it's certainly a negative one from the horse racing side of the fence that those wallets haven't been separated from each other. Those different types of activity haven't been separated. And that's why I say it's, a, it's, it's very much an analog solution, this rather than a digital one. And that, of course, Dave, all reckons without the fact that the battleground may only just be opening up, because as has been said, these are only proposals that are going forward to ministerial consultation. Yeah, this is by no means over. There is no clarity here. We don't really know um, what's going to happen, and we're not that far away from the next election. Will this even be on this government's watch? Yeah, well, yesterday, Sir Ian Duncan Smith, the, the Conservative MP for Chingford and Wood, Woodford Green, he told The Guardian that the fact that this was still subject to consultation, uh, he feared that it was tantamount to doing nothing. Now, he, he broadly welcomed... Uh, what Lucy Fraser had to say, he he felt that it didn't go. That the proposals didn't go far enough with regard to the protection of children, and there was also the issue of the the voluntary position of betting of Premier League football clubs taking betting company advertising or, or logos from the front of their shirts. Um, he was he was backed up uh, by Carolyn Harris. Philip Davis was uh, more critical, and and what he said really chimed with. Uh, what you've just said, and he, he called the he, he called the figures bizarre and arbitrary figures. Uh, he said that the conservative principle of individual responsibility appeared to have gone out of the window. He said that the uh, a figure of two thousand pounds over ninety days equated to twenty two pounds uh, per day. And with regard to the 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 the, um, the landmarks or the the parameters in which we set the figures. I think you're absolutely right that that you know I don't know if you've ever lost 125 quid a day I certainly have and I've certainly lost more than a thousand quid in a month and I've lost more than two thousand pounds over the course of 90 days now one would hope that when you look at your ledger at the end of a season you can say right well that was a tough period but the next few weeks and months were uh, more were, were were more profitable and i rode out the storm and this is my bottom line figure but in this case and as you say it's a loss it's it, uh, between uh, it, it's a loss in yes what is an, an arbitrary period of time and it, it's it, it can be unrepresentative very much unrepresentative of a gambler's overall activity whether it comes to uh, a profit or loss, as I say, the, the, where we put those stakes in the ground, uh, I think was always going to be the subject for um, debate. But where they are now, certainly, you know, the, the the old Winston Churchill line about lies, damned lies, and statistics. Well, you could take the, the the most successful horse racing punter that we know, and they would still have periods whereby they would trigger both the ccj checks obviously because that's 125 quid a day uh but also the the more intrusive and the, and the less frictionless checks that, that are triggered by a grand a month or, or two thousand quid over 90 days and that means looking into your bank account and your uh your wage statements and your your p60 okay then um how has the city viewed the white paper and Lucy Fraser's address to, to Parliament. David Buick is a market commentator who has a, a particular interest in, in this sector. 
Uh, David, what what are the share prices of the various firms telling us about how this has gone down? Well, I think the city's um, heaved a great sigh of relief, if I'm honest with you, Nick. Um, 888, let's just discuss three of them, is up 1% since the announcement. Flutter's up about a half a percent. And Entame, which, of course, which for everybody knows of Coral and um, Labrooks, is up uh, about 2%. But we need to put this in context. And the context is this. Though in London and the rest of the United Kingdom, the betting industry think they've had a right royal result, this pales into insignificant in comparison to the corporate finance business that is possibly going on. Let me just quickly illustrate, if you will indulge me. 888 Holdings is up in one month, 47%. Flutter, 13.6%. And Entain, plus 24%. And you're going to say to me, or your listeners say, why? The United Kingdom pales into significance to the Big Apple. And we have outstanding possibilities of bids. Caesar Entertainment for Flutter and Entain has had NGM crawling all over them like a bad rash. Now, now that we know what's going on, the reason why these share prices that I've told you about in the last five minutes or couple of minutes are interesting because it means people are not worried. But the real business is the expertise that we have in the United Kingdom, the United States of America is very keen to get involved and, if at all possible, to buy some of these better companies. Interesting, though, as you say, it's more a question of reassurance. If there'd been anything in this white paper that was widely leaked beforehand, the, the, these share prices would have would have been been jittery, wouldn't they? Well, they would have tanked. I think what came out of it, from just reading between the lines, Nick, and you've probably got a greater feeling on this than I have, is the fact that the advertising has not been affected. And I think this is quite a big thing because... Uh, even though um, people have their doubts that advertising really has the effect of people uh, seeking, how can I put it, guidance to go some other place where they're already bet. The fact that it's in your face all the time is helpful uh, for the betting industry. And the fact that the government have seen no reason to change that, I think gave the market some reassurance that they probably didn't expect Market commentator David Buick there, seeing the bigger picture, and the bigger picture from a political point of view, and I'll return to this, David Yates, is that this might not even be ultimately a matter for this government. For all we've had the the guts of two and a half years in a, in a review process, and now we have the white paper, as I said, we've still got you know proposals to consult with ministers – you don't know how long that's going to take. And we've got an election likely November 2024, an election which the current administration is is unlikely to win if the polls and the markets are to, believe, be, to be believed at the moment. So what does the, the Labour Party do with this raft of, of proposals anyway? This is surely just the start. We're looking forward to next year. Rishi Sunak, the speculation is that he will look towards the autumn of 2024 in order uh, to, to call a, a general election. Obviously, the, the Conservative Party, the government have got quite a, a Labour lead to turn around. That seems a way off at the moment. When we consider that it's two and a half years since uh, this white paper and the call for evidence was first announced, It'll go by pretty quickly. And I think the point you made is absolutely right, that ultimately this will fall on uh, Keir Starmer's watch if if the polls remain uh, as they are now, rather than the Conservative Prime Minister's. 
unless you thought there would be a sense of finality or clarity put forward by today's white paper, then consider this. Just dropped from the British Horse Racing Authority from Julie Harrington, the chief executive. We're pleased the UK government has reflected on our industry's detailed representations and recognised the importance of British racing in today's white paper. While there are a range of measures included within the white paper, there will be a series of further important consultation processes in the months ahead, including on the critical area of affordability checks. In these, we will continue to make our case that sweeping blanket checks on affordability are not appropriate, with any measures needing to be proportionate and targeted at individuals and their specific circumstances. So it's as you were on, on that basis. Of course, where the BHA are pleased, and Julie Harrington goes on to say, we very much welcome the launch of the review of the horse race betting levy. This important review provides an opportunity for the government to ensure British racing receives a fair return from betting activity, protects the sport against inflationary pressures, and maintains our position as the world leader in thoroughbred racing. We call on the government to now complete and implement this levy review as soon as possible in order to support a great British sporting and cultural asset. And indeed, she responds to the one paragraph, just the one, in this multi-page report that deals with horse racing. It is one short paragraph only where Fraser read, The government recognises the significant contribution that horse racing makes to British sporting culture and its particular importance to the rural economy. is keen to ensure that measures such as financial risk checks do not adversely affect the sector. We have therefore commenced the review of the horse race betting levy, which we're required to undertake by 2024, and will take account of the changes set out in this document to ensure the levy delivers an appropriate level of funding for the sector. My eye was then caught by a tweet from James Knight, who has worked first for Ladbrokes and now under the umbrella of the Entain group for some considerable time and is a, a thoughtful, sometimes provocative contributor on Twitter. And he responded as follows. A lot of white paper focus will be on affordability, but the levy reform stuff may have big impacts for punters too. Charging bookies on turnover and effectively making racing an even more expensive product for them will mean racing will become a less competitive betting sport. The concern rebasing levy on profits is that there's no guarantee that operators win enough on racing and could use it as a lost leader. Ironically, media rights deals have ensured that bookmakers now need to keep pricing more honest. Basing the levy on turnover as well would likely see overrounds increase again and concessions removed, etc. It's an unintended consequence of something that sounds good to many people. So you can take it as read that the battle lines are being drawn. If you think that there has been a period of relative harmony where the betting industry has harnessed racing in order to um, petition government accordingly, then you can think now going forward that if the government are going to consent to levy reform or put levy reform on the table based on a, term, a turnover model, then uh, the uh, fissure is going to become more pronounced once again between the racing and betting industries. Um, yes, the battle lines are going to be drawn between the different parties with regard to the review of the levy, but I, I can't see how these financial risk checks do not adverse will not adversely affect the sector. They will now. Uh, to 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 what extent that um, that damage can be uh, can be mollified by 
the the new levy system or the the reviewed levy system i don't know but the, the starting point that those risk checks will not cause uh, will not hit racing in the pocket to use a, a tabloid phrase I, I think that's pretty fanciful i can't see how they won't All right, more on the white paper on tomorrow's show. But on with today, here at Punchestown, as I was saying, it's Stayers Hurdle Day today. It was Gold Cup Day yesterday. What a day for it as well. And the protagonist from the Cheltenham Gold Cup was split by a nose in a race for the ages. Galapin Deschamps defeating Brave Man's game. But, lo and behold, there was a 20-1 to shot in front of both of them. Fast or slow, trained by Martin Brassel, ridden by JJ Slevin. David, what did you make of that? Well, I, I I found it a really confusing race. Um, going into it, I thought, like most people, I suspect that uh, coming back to three miles would not be any problem for Galapando Shaw. Remember, this was the horse that um, uh, there were a few question marks supposedly about his ability to stay an extended three and a quarter miles in the Cheltenham Gold Cup. He went off the seven to two on favourite. Um, I thought that Harry Cobden. Got Brave Man's game, of course, who uh, was eventually allowed to run after speculation that he wouldn't. I thought he got him into a, a good rhythm at the head of affairs. He he started to feel the pinch in the straight. Uh, Paul Nichols lamented afterwards a, a, a sloppy jump at the final fence, which has had caused... Um, Brave Man's game to lose momentum. As you say, in the end, he was edged out for second place by a nose uh, by Galapin Deschamps, but it was fast or slow at 20 to 1. Uh, second, of course, to the subsequent Randolph's Grand National victor, Korak Rambler, in the Ultima Handicap Chase at Cheltenham last month, who came out on top. Um, I'm sure that I'm not on my own in um, admiring Martin Brassel as a trainer and this was a, a a real rabbit out of the the hat as far as i could see um a, a superb effort obviously by some way a personal best but it left me scratching my head as to where this leaves us perhaps going forward to next season with the likes likes of Galapin Deschamps, who had looked, apart from that mishap in the Turner's Novices Chase at Cheltenham last year, he's looked invulnerable over fences and for all that the Odds told us that this was a surprise. There certainly didn't seem to be any fluke about it. All right, cracking race at Sandown tomorrow for the Bet365 Mile. It's uh, a market dominated by Light Infantry, who did so well in a brace of Group 1s last season for David Simcock. Second favourite is a horse who this time last year we were talking about as a live one for the 2,000 guineas. That didn't work out, but the rest of the season did for Check and Challenge, trained by William Knight who is assured us 4 to one in a place for tomorrow's Group 2. Trainer joins me now. Uh, William, have you found the, the right race in the right conditions for your horse, do you think? Yeah, I think um, we were originally going to run at Ascot next week for the, in the Paradise Stakes, and um, that was always going to be my plan. But, um, you know, when I sort of heard that native trail and, and, um, and then my Prosperia were going to head that way, I just thought, well, let's put the entry in and yeah i look i think it looks a suitable opportunity for him he ran he ran well at sandown last year um you know when he came back from a little bit of a break in, a, in that handicap and uh you know the ground the ground should be fine um look he goes on soft ground it's just 
fitness wise, whether it just finds him out a bit for, you know, first time out for the year, you know, I think probably in that ground having race course fitness helped. Um, but to me, it looks, you know, look, it looks the right sort of opportunity as they say, you put him, he's put up a second favorite there. Um, be a nice starting, starting point for, for the year. Uh, what do you think the ultimate goal is going to be this year? Well, I think that I think let's see at first see how he gets on tomorrow. Um, I've been really happy with the way he's been training last year. You know, it was a little bit stop-start. The guineas came on him quite early. Um, you know, we just had a few issues with him last year. We never really got a got a free run at it. Um, this year, you know, he's been training really well. We've had no setbacks, and um, you know, hopefully, this will be his year. And I think, looking at him physically, he just looks—he looks—he's turned himself inside out. He looks that much stronger. Um, look, if he was to run a big race there tomorrow, um, he's in the long, in, in the lock-inch. Um, but also, the plan was also we, we would have a um, you know think about the pre-disband. Um, which is at the end of May, so he wouldn't do both. He would do one or the other. Um, you know, the the, 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 the the Queen Anne then would be a potential target or, you know, we might be thinking about going a mile and a quarter. So, you know, I think we'll, we'll learn a lot tomorrow from him. Um, but, um, you know, look, we got high hopes for him this year. I really feel he, I hope he can make into a group one performer. Um, but obviously he needs to go and prove that tomorrow. All right, William, thanks so much. Cheers. Cheers, Nick. Trainer William Knight there, strongly represented by Check and Challenge. In tomorrow's bet, 365 mile at Sandown, where they're going, is currently heavy. It shouldn't pose too much of a problem to him, nor should it to add AR, who goes against three rivals in the bet, 365 Gordon Richards stakes, amongst them Anne Mart, who was so exciting for Owen Burroughs last season you'll remember Adeyar's final run last season came when second to Baybridge in the champion stakes in which Baid was a disappointing fourth Baybridge himself goes to the Prix Ganet at Longchamp at the weekend amongst his rivals will be Ernesto the winner of last year's Grand Prix de Paris and also Vadeni the arc runner-up so that looks a, a race to be savoured in France at the weekend more of that tomorrow uh, on the jumps front at Sandown for Saturday, the most significant piece of news is that Hewick, the winner of last year's Bet365 Gold Cup, won't run in that. He'll run in the Oaksy Chase instead. And that means that way more horses will now be in the handicap for the Bet365 Gold Cup, which will be to the disadvantage of Frodon, who was heavily favoured by the presence of Hewick under the intended top weight, as you heard from Paul Nichols earlier in the week there will next year be significant changes to the jumps pattern in great britain these were announced yesterday as part of the jump racing quality review group uh, and david yates what did you make of this yeah too many opportunities for horses at the top level i think that we agree on that and uh, the the, um, the name of the game here was to cut back on a few of those and to space them out perhaps a little better. Um, as you say, those were most of the the headline ones. Um, we lost the the dip and obviously chase a grade two, of course, once at Newcastle, latterly at Cheltenham. That's gone in the bin, as has the future champion novices chaser there. And the a, a chase a, a race I don't even know the alt car uh, novices chase alt car at Haydock Park. Um, as you mentioned, the future stars and the many clouds have gone. The Peter Marsh is now not a limited handicap, but a full weight range handicap. Um, in the bin, joining 
the contenders hurdle at Sandown Park. Contenders ready. Sorry, I couldn't resist uh, saying that. Is the champion hurdle trial at Haydock Park. Nicky Henderson uh, really will be uh, scratching his head as to um, how to warm his champion hurdle hopes up uh, for the Cheltenham Festival. The international hurdle, which of course was at the the December meeting at Cheltenham, that's gone to the trials card at Cheltenham at the end of January. So there are some high profile changes. We can all point to horses. You know, I've written down obviously Tolworth, uh, Constitution Hill and Tamuras in the last two runnings. The John Frankham chase was won by a wide margin by a Hoy Senor uh, last season. So we can point to high profile winners of these races but in many ways i suppose that's an illustration of the problem that we want these races to be more like the uh the the quarterfinals or the semi-finals of the champions league not the not the group stages where horse good horses have got uh too many opportunities for easy wins and to avoid each other i don't know whether this is going to work because the, the proof of the pudding etc etc um will become evident over the the next couple of years it was welcomed by paul nichols in the the british horse racing authority statement yesterday and i think most of us would agree that in principle this is the right thing to do yeah it's amazing how much of this is kind of back to the future though as well isn't it it's sort of you you gradually get this creep where the racing becomes less competitive and you have to do something about it remember 20 30 years ago you had a grade one race at weatherby over two miles at christmas the castleford chase became a handicap chase the graded race then moved to kempton at christmas that was a perfectly reasonable spot but the point was that the tingle creek that had been run two weeks earlier then suddenly changed from a limited handicap to a championship race so you ended up with too much of the same thing in a local area in a very short space of time so it's really in a lot of cases i think restoring what had gone before Yes, I think that's a very good point. That um, that these these changes have been um, not not by stealth, but they've been almost imperceptible, haven't they? Almost like a, a a dot moving across a radar screen. You can't see it move, but then you check the screen after five minutes, and you realise it's gone from one side to the other. And I think that whilst in their individual cases, a lot of these changes, as they happened, were understandable um what has happened particularly combined with the the jumping population in britain that has meant that there was a need for change well there is one name that won't be alongside any of the runners in next season's pattern races charlotte greenway picks up the story I'm joined by Harry Whittington, who, after 11 years with a licence, will saddle his final runner this afternoon at Warwick. Harry, you've had success on the biggest stage with a Grade 1 winner and a winner at the Cheltenham Festival. How are you feeling this morning about this chapter coming to an end? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very content uh, with the decision. And, um, you know, when, when you just say what you just said then, um, you know, I just feel incredibly lucky to have had that sort of success. And you need a lot of luck in the game. And, um, you know, obviously, looking back over the last 11 years, I'd just be, you know, proud of what we achieved. Um, always had very good staff and fantastic owners. And, um, yeah, I just uh, fond, fond memories. And um, now it's all about moving forwards. So you're glad you took that leap into the training ranks 11 years ago, and what's Very the much so. uh, and what's the standout memory for you? 
Um, well, there are lots, and um, you know, as we were very lucky and fortunate to have some so many great days. Um, you know, obviously, Cheltenham Festival winner was right up there. Um, of course, um, it's pin- the pinnacle. Really, having a winner there. Uh, I've, I'm very fond of a day that's my first Saturday winner when Arza won a handicap at, H- at Newbury, my local track, on Hennessy Day in 2015. Um, that was monumental because it, it was the first sort of big winner we ever had. Um, you know, I think we only had sort of. 10 horses at the time and um you know it really sort of propelled us as a yard and um you know that 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 was just a, a great day um and obviously the grade one when i was out on the grade one that was fantastic um two kingmakers uh grade three in ireland yeah there was there was some fantastic days so um uh you know I, i'd probably say the festival winner and um and that first saturday winner on hennessy day and Dot picked me this afternoon in the handicap hurdle at 4.25. What sort of chance has he got of sending you out on a high? <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, I suppose, uh, you know, it, we, we always wanted to try and find something that might go and win, but um, it, was, it was a bit difficult with ground drying out and things like that and just one or two runners not running. And um, anyway, you know, he, he's won two races this year. Um, he's such a, a solid sort of perform performer is in his grade but um you know it's a, it's, a, it's quite a tough ask he, he he was um things didn't go right for him the last day at Haydock. um he missed a hurdle at the wrong time and then um got cut off at one point and then um just you know uh, had to be pulled up so it didn't didn't go right but um this is a tough race so i i, I think it's going to be hard for him to win today but um you know nonetheless looking forward to enjoying the day out and then it's on to the next chapter. Before you took out a training license, you ran a pre-training yard. The plan's to go back to that, is it? Yeah, very much so. Um, we've been running the two businesses alongside each other um, since last summer um, because we were down on numbers. So we needed to think off our feet and um, we're all about horsemanship. And obviously, um, you know, I set out to be a pre-trainer, not a trainer. Um, training was by default slightly um, just from doing a satellite, you know, being a satellite yard for Nicky Anderson for a couple of years, got the bug for it, didn't have a young family. So it seemed like a sort of sensible time for a non-sensible decision. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm I'm obviously um, you know don't regret it at all. The decision at the time was, it was wonderful years, but um, uh, ultimately, um, you know, running the two businesses alongside each other, um, you know, we we just felt that we had to focus on one, and uh, you know, the pre-training model is a good one, and we're very well located for it, and um, collectively, you know, as a team, we're all about horsemanship, so it it, it just makes sense, um, makes a lot of sense to us. You've got a mix of uh, flat and jumpers, is that right? Correct. Um, you know, obviously, we've, we've we've broken in many, many horses over the years. Um, and, um, you know, I, I worked for Malcolm Bastard, um, you know, and I learnt my, learnt my trade from him. So, you know, we, we, we've done many flat horses and through the winter. And um, I, I've always broken in all of our stores. And um, I, I spent some time breaking in Nicky Henderson's stores when I was pre-training. Um, so, we're, you know, I'm hoping to get lots of stores to break in. And um, and obviously the autumn, when the autumn comes around, um, you know, it'd be plenty of yearlings to be broken in as well. And, and also, um, you know, we, we, we like to dip our toe into um you know buying some horses to trade again like we've done before um so we'll um start that off as well um but no hopefully we can be busy doing um you know both jumpers and flat horses and have you got a bit of a break planned or is it straight into the breaking 
um well i've got a i've got quite a few pre-trainers at the moment um i've obviously got room for more um but um you know it is probably that little bit of a quiet time before the store sales start so um yeah we'll have we'll have a a very very short break um with the family and um in may at some point and um (laughs) and then it's all systems go again at some point i'm sure well harry thank you so much for your time this morning Uh, best of luck this afternoon and also for everything in the future my pleasure thank you very much charlotte thank you very much harry whittington thank you very much david yates is still with me as we turn our attentions back to the flat i broke the news yesterday dave about the derby going to lunchtime i mean there's there's everybody screaming blue murder about this i ask you one question what exactly were they supposed to do and where were they supposed to when were they supposed to run the race if if it is the case that the fa cup final has to take place at three o'clock when do you propose we run the derby they had to find the least worst solution uh, to this once in a generation problem i hope as long as we don't have many more uh, world cups staged in midwinter um i agree with lee mottershead's piece in the racing post and and said very broadly similar things on racing tv yesterday nick um the a couple of the uh, alternatives to this might seem seductive at first glance oh let's let's run the race during half time it's only two and a half minutes and half time is 15 well that causes several problems first of all that they, they we can't have uh, we can't have delays to the first half of the football, i.e. an injury that, that that then gives us like six or seven or ten minutes even of injury time. Um, there will almost certainly be something of a protest by animal uh, rights protesters such as Animal Rising at Epsom in June. That could cause an issue. There could also be horses that need to be reshot, etc. So that 15-minute window, whilst at first glance it seems plenty of time in which to run the derby, it's fraught with potential fit, uh, pitfalls. Bringing uh, Also, of course, if you're the sponsor of the derby, Betfred, to be told that, well, your program's going to be on ITV4, except for one 10-minute slot when it's going to go onto the main channel. You might not like that. Also, ITV might not like the idea of a, a, a horse race sending their viewers, and I know you and I wouldn't like to think this, but it's true, sending their viewers over to the BBC because they don't want to watch a horse race. They want to watch analysis of the first half of the football. What about taking it to a later slot? Well, if you add the first half, the second half of the football, 15 minutes of injury time, say five minutes between full time and uh, extra time, two 15-minute periods of um, injury time plus uh, two minutes of half time in that, I think you get to 252 minutes. So if you started at the, if the kickoff was at three o'clock, then if that game goes to injury time and then penalties, it's 5.32 before you choose your penalty takers. So then you've got uh, the, the, the penalty shootout and then the award of the FA Cup. That takes us way past six o'clock. So again, even though at first glance that seemed a seductive idea, when you look beyond uh, what what greets you, I think that that was 
Again, a non-starter. I don't like it. I don't like the idea that a, an FA Cup, which football people tell you that they wish that the FA Cup had the standing that it once was. I don't like the fact that it's allowed to push my favourite race of the entire year around. But that's where we are, I'm afraid. We know um, that football is the great god, as John McCrick, the late John McCrick used to say, and it will push even the biggest horse races around. I think that their job was to find the least worst solution. I think they've done that. Let's hope to goodness that there isn't another World Cup staged um, in, uh, in a hot country in December We've had opposition from the Champions League in the past when it comes to the derby, but that doesn't affect the timing of the race. So, as I say, it's the least worst solution. I think we've just got to deal with it through gritted teeth for one year. OK, that's it then. Thanks to all my guests today. David Yates is still with me and has a tip that'll have to be, I don't know for when, because it's going to date a bit too quickly if we're not careful. Why don't we go to the nine o'clock race at Chelmsford City? I like, well, I like the way you're thinking. I thought you might do. World without love. Who wants one of those? Number four on your card. Uh, second over two miles at the Essex showground a week ago. Comes back in trip here. That shouldn't be a problem. And I hope that King Richard Kingscott's mount can come home in front here. Nine o'clock race at Chelmsford City. Number four, world without love. David, thank you so much. Thank you very much for uh, your time. By the time you have listened to this, uh, the appropriate name, My Bad Lucy, might have won at Warwick. Thanks very much Lucy. We got the uh, we got the podcast out in the end. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.